Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, folks. Rob Hessler here with another episode of Art on the Air, my weekly Savannah Morning News special. So glad to have you tuned in for another fantastic interview I have this week. I stopped by Rule of Three Gallery to talk to Stephanie Sunshine Forbes and her father, Rob Forbes, about Rob's new exhibition, Childish Things. And let me tell you something, there is no nepotism here. This is a fantastic exhibition that I was really blown away by. It's got so much meaning, so much going on beyond just the image that you see in front of you. And it's a really interesting story. It's a really interesting background for the pieces, which really stems from Rob and growing up in foster care. And so that's a really interesting topic and a really interesting place to jump off from in terms of making an art show. And it was really my pleasure to speak with both of them. Now, we did the interview from the gallery space, so you can hear that kind of echo, that sound of the gallery space. So you're going to feel like you're right there. So that'll be great. Can't wait to share that with you. Wanted to mention, as always, you can catch past episodes of Art on the Air and my corresponding Art Off the Air column, as well as my Sunday column at savannahnow.com in the entertainment section and in the lifestyle section. Last week, I spoke with Catherine Shriver, a fiber artist who primarily works with beads about her really incredible work, but also for the unexpected reasons that she is leaving savannah actually so catch that one savannahnow.com and that one is in the entertainment section but let's get into this week's interview again i caught this one recorded live from rule of three gallery gallery director stephanie sunshine forbes and her father the artist rob forbes talking about childish things enjoy Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes, and we are at Rule of Three Gallery here with Rob Forbes and Stephanie Sunshine Forbes, the gallery director for Rob's exhibition, Childish Things. Why don't we just kind of start off, let people know, what is the show all about? What are we looking at? What are we standing amongst right now? Let's start with you, Stephanie. Why don't you kind of tell us from your perspective, because I know you kind of organize all this. Yeah, so Childish Things, Explorations of the Inner Child is an exhibition by my dad uh, that has manifested itself really since childhood, which is the root of the conversation in the pieces that um, playfulness, childlike things, this kind of um, natural innocence and just, you know, the kid thing. Uh, playing with toys and it's just these pieces kind of feel like um, calls for 
to be nostalgic and reflective of your childhood, but there is a darker meaning as to why they've presented themselves, and that is uh, the dark side of the foster care system in the 60s and 70s. Generally speaking, um, there's a lot more to it, but basically that's that's the root of it. So um, it's a... The work is kind of um, the first really big step you've made in your healing process um, and being vulnerable and open in what's happened to you. And I think as artists, we're obligated to be transparent in that kind of way where things happen for a reason and we're artists because of them and for them. Um, So this show is kind of an ultimate testimony to that in my opinion. Yeah, and Rob, maybe you want to kind of add on to that because obviously it's very personal for you. So um, beyond kind of this description that Stephanie's put out here, which is, you know, the gallery kind of description, talk a little bit on a personal level. Like, what does this show for you, like, mean for you personally? Uh, well, it's it's actually, for me personally, it's actually a, a really big deal because... Um, I'm in my 50s, and I've never really done anything like this. I've had a lot of these uh, concepts in my head for a very, very long time. But I've never... I've just always been very reserved about putting myself out there, especially when it comes to um, conceptual art that's based in trauma. And there's, there's a lot of... Although these paintings, in my opinion, have, have a very bright ray of sunshine in them uh there there is there is trauma and some dark stories behind them Uh, but you know going through this process and and the last um three months in particular really getting it all finished getting it together and getting it framed and and all of those things it's been very Therapeutic. It's been very um, uplifting to me. the The results were, I I think, very surprisingly bright, mm-hmm. considering where I was in, in mindset and you know while I was executing and those kind of things. But it really took it took a, a turn I wasn't expecting, and I'm I'm very happy that it did actually. So. I want to talk to you a little bit about your process because these images, many of the images have a huge collection of imagery. I mean, there's so many objects and you're putting them all together. And on the Rule of Three Gallery's Instagram, I saw some background photos, which I thought were really cool of you like working and there's pictures of you in your studio and putting these all together. And I know as an artist, it's kind of interesting when you're working on a deep, subject matter kind of balancing that okay I'm literally putting something together what is the how do I want to make this look versus I am steeped in something that has a lot of baggage attached to it so I kind of wonder like if you could just talk a little bit about your process because it is like putting together all these objects with all this meaning tied to them and you know you mentioned it's kind of like a healing or I should say Stephanie mentioned it's sort of a healing process for you. It's for you kind of a step forward artistically. I wonder kind of what that was like that, how how was the process for you of kind of putting these together? 
That's a really good question. And it, it, you know, looking at the piece, you'll notice that there's a, there's a main character to every piece. There's a main uh, subject matter. Mm-hmm. And it's basically that's where I start. I'll, I'll see, I'll have a, a concept in my head. You know, that was the, the first toy I ever remember having. Um, oh, okay. I was... Which is a Silver Mountain train. It's yes. the engine here where we're looking at right now. It's, what era would you say? That's got to be like the 60s, I would say, probably, right? Well, so, I was born in 65, and I had that toy when I was less than four years old. Okay, so late 60s. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's about right then. Yeah. Um, and so it became the, the main character in this composition. And then... You know, I've been collecting these toys for 20 years. So, you know, I find the main character and then I find things that support the main character, either either in terms of composition or in terms of concept. Mm-hmm. Some of these things are, some of the art is supported by concept. Some of the toys support the main character by concept and, and some do not. The, the primary focus of this piece is the train. Everything else is sort of supportive. Um, as far as putting it together, it, it's it's um, <laughs> it's quite a process. the The distance between the distance between here, the foreground and the background, uh, right there is about twelve feet. Oh wow! See, now that's what I was thinking was interesting because when I saw the images on Instagram. Like you're you, where you're working is like this huge area. I mean, you're like walking around this like whole space. Um, so I find that to be really interesting. And now I kind of see, like, from a technical perspective, for people who aren't looking at the images right in front of them, but there is like there's a depth of field, there's a specific focus area, some stuff fades in the background. Oh, so that's really interesting because it doesn't look like it, like when you're standing in front of it. No, no, I mean, you. you... And unless you unless you know you don't know yeah and and really the the purpose of the depth of field is to bring attention to the main character right so that's how it works but one thing that I do want to mention with his pieces that is so incredibly interesting as far as your technique and skills is these aren't edited in Photoshop like this is all lighting in his studio wow yeah so I think you know like getting the focuses and all of these things, all the light, how your eyes move through the piece is just how it was shot. And I think that's a great testament to your skill capacity. Um, and, you know, he's really known for lighting. He worked at a news station and you won awards for uh, lighting. On shows, on I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, well, well light, lighting is one of, one of my passions, actually. It's, you know, I, I do uh, media production for a living, and uh, it requires uh, a, a relatively decent uh, skill set for lighting. And it's just, it's been my passion for years. I, I love to, you know, I love to uh, create texture and depth and, and just, you know, it, it's, it's the kind of thing where when you're lighting something like that, it's very hard to light and expose for everything and not blow something out, right? And not overexpose and not... And not lose something in the darkness, you know, unless it's intentional. Um, but that's a that's a good point, Stephanie. You know, I want to ask you, Stephanie, because you know, you just made a comment about the technical expertise of the work, and 
I wonder as a curator how that is for you because this is a little different. I mean, this is your dad. Like, this is your dad's <laughs> artwork, right? Yeah. So, you know, like, you're a gallerist and you're operating a gallery. So, you know, obviously you want to present a really good show, but then there's also this whole emotional component for you that's, like, tied into it, wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I wonder how that was for you to, like, disconnect that, well, okay, I'm doing this art show of my dad's work, Versus, I'm a curator first and foremost. I need to represent the gallery that I own in the best way possible. Yeah, that is uh, something I thought a lot about lately is my ability to kind of disconnect in that way that's respectful of my position and yours in this exhibition. But I think that that was ingrained in me, my ability for that from being raised by him because. There was never like a, oh my gosh, that's so good, it's perfect. You know, if I did a painting or, you know, any art, it was always what I could do better. Mm -hmm. But in a way that was like, like he knew I was meant to be an artist. So it was still like, like it wasn't ever discouraging or disheartening to have, you know, the first comment be, this could be better, think about this composition or something like that. So he always treated me when it came to art in a manner of teacher student right like it wasn't father daughter and so for me I felt like I became teacher student as curator he he said when I told him about this show I said don't get over like you know making too much stuff because I knew that he would get connected to it (laughs) and he would have a problem if he made something and I didn't show it and I was like you need to be careful and like focus on certain pieces or whatever. And he, he was like, I'm gonna make the work. I'm gonna do it. And you can take it out if you wanna take it out. And I was like, all right, dude, like when I don't show one of your pieces because it doesn't, you know, flow with the, don't get mad. And so, um, so yeah, and even the way that I chose to install it and hang it, mm-hmm. there was some pushback a few times and I was like, stop. <laughs> but, but no, I think it was, um, I. I really do feel like we handled this together very professionally and I don't think that there is, obviously there's, you know, this is sacred and it's such a special thing that we just did, but um, I don't think any emotions got in the way of how anything worked. You were very submissive to, you know, knowing... Well, I have a a great deal of respect for all of your skill set, but in particular I've seen you put together shows and galleries and not just this gallery but you you put things together in other galleries and other spaces and there's an art to that there's there's an art to how you take the art and put it on the walls and just to just to add a little caveat to your ability to separate um, she didn't have any trouble telling me what wasn't going on (laughs) and and there, there there was a there was a few things that didn't make it on the wall, and and the the bottom line is she was right. She was right. They, they, I, I had a couple of pieces that I had, you know, a fondness for, and they didn't make it on the wall for a good reason. And so it it worked out beautifully. Well, you know, just from an outside perspective, and I think you know it's important. I think the listeners understand this that are just listening to us have this conversation. It's like this isn't a vanity show. This isn't like I want show my dad's work. This is a beautiful exhibition. It's a 
high-end, beautiful exhibition. It doesn't feel forced at all. But I do wonder, kind of, Stephanie, how did it all kind of come together? Because, you know, you've been in the gallery now since October, mm-hmm. you know, so you've had a little bit of time to kind of be in the space and maybe acclimate yourself to the space. But it's a pretty big decision to have your dad come into this space and, like, do this show. Like, how did this all work out? Kind of take us back to the origins of deciding, I want to do this exhibition. Yeah. So I've always pushed my dad. Always. Like, since I became confident in my own role as an artist, I've started pushing him. So he was doing this series called Dutiful, and they were powerful conceptually. They were very powerful conceptually. Like, the reason why he was making this work was so important, but they never felt powerful visually to me, which I know that that sounds terrible, but it it was the way I saw those pieces was you're on to something and this isn't it, but this is going to take you where you need to be. And so I always kept pushing him. I'm like, Dad, you don't... Like, he he would... Basically, if you look at... The Dutiful series, and you look at his photographs, they the Dutiful series looks like substrates for these compositions. Mm, okay. And so he got here, but I, I didn't know, you know, it would be photography. I didn't know what it would look like. I, I would always just be like, maybe you should try painting these, or maybe you should try um, doing something different, or taking this. So he would, he draws like hundreds of singular characters on paper, scans them in. And then compiles them in Photoshop and makes these big illustrations that are then paintings, like digital paintings. And um, and I was like, why don't take, why don't you take a singular character from these and make it big? And or I just kept offering all these ideas. And you got here by yourself, you know, but you knew that there was something else you had to do. Um, so answering your question, it started when you started dutiful 15 years ago, you know, Mm. and I, any chance I had to show in any kind of space, like there was this bar in Augusta called sky city, my favorite spot, Coco Rubio ran it. And he was just the coolest guy. And, um, he always let me show my art there. Like anytime I wanted to have a show, he would be like, yeah, sunshine, come on. And so then (laughs) I was like, dad, you should do a show here. And, and I'm, you know, I've, he didn't have the motivation then, but he did have a few pieces, and I went to a studio, and I got them, and I got all of his drawings, and I went to Michael's, and I bought these cheap frames. I mean, this was, like, 10 years ago. I didn't really have an eye for, like, the high-end version of these things. All I knew is that I wanted my dad's work to be on a wall, and I wanted his message and his story to be known. And so, any chance I got, I was always doing that. I made him websites, you know. I've, <laughs> I've like made him an Instagram, like dutiful Instagram years ago. But, uh, but yeah, it's like I'm, I've always just wanted to be here. And so, when I opened the gallery in October, I knew Dad was on the Rolodex, you know. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know when. And then it just so happened, like it was perfect timing to do it in April with the sidewalk arts festival because he is a SCAD alumni. Um, so that was the date we set and, um, there was no budging on for me. <laughs> Let, let's step into the other space here. Cause I do kind of want to talk a little bit about 
some decisions that have been made here uh, in terms of, because you said, you know, you, you put, we've been spending a lot of time talking about these larger compositions where it's, you know, a, a collection of a bunch of toys put together and then there's a central character. But that's not the only work in the show. And then you just barely touched on the sort of darker undertones and the foster care stuff. And I think that the larger pieces are, I think, a viewer would have to really know what's going on. Well, there is the one character, the clown hanging from the noose. I think you could make some connections there. Or maybe the cobweb-covered fishing rod. I think maybe you might be able to make some connections there. But a lot of these are also just these big, beautiful pieces that like, I could put in my son's room, and he would love this, mm-hmm. all these toys, and it's that. But I think in the second room here, we have some pieces, in particular this series of basketballs here that definitely, if you're not figuring it out already, that there's a darker undertone that you're going to see it here. We've got this large oil barrel here, rusty oil barrel. The basketball is deflated next to it, and then there's a series of a dozen basketball images all stacked um, in a row. So I want to talk about the under pinnings of these pieces here, I think, in front of this. So you probably know some of this, but you also, as a curator, you want an artist to really be delving into like their deepest inner being. Like That's what we are as artists, right? We're like going to those places anyway. But I also think this is like taking a chance. You know what I mean? Because like these big portraits of toys are like beautiful and like easy to digest in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but then when you add this in it's like oh wait a second maybe it's not as easy to digest as I think mm-hmm. so talk about these pieces first then maybe we'll get a little bit more into the for me personally the, the story behind all this is, is really very interesting um, when I was a kid one of the homes that I lived in uh, one of the things that we did uh, we did a lot of, um, as, even as children, we did a lot of physical labor. And my mother at the time would take us around the island that we lived on and we would pick up yard trash, other people's yard trash. And we would, we would bring it back to our house and we lived on a riverbank and she would put all this trash on the riverbank and mulch it and it would be part of her garden. And that's how she built her garden. And on, uh, you know, different different trips, we would find different things. Um, and on one particular trip, inside the the trash bag with the trash was uh, a, a basketball. And you know, it's a toy. We we were uh, we were fascinated. We were fascinated by how we found it. We were just fascinated by the toy. And I say we because there were there were other kids living at the home, mm-hmm. uh, living in the home at the time. But this basketball was, um, it wasn't fully deflated, um, probably why it was in the trash. But if you bounced, if you threw it hard enough, you could bounce it. Um, but we didn't have a, we didn't have a goal. So, um, my father had a 55 gallon drum and he had a piece of wood attached to the top lip of it. And he would mount his outboard motors to the, to the drum and he would, that's how he would clean them. Fill it up with water. Okay, okay. You, yeah, yeah, you hook yeah. a water hose to the to the uh, engine, and you cleaned it that way because the the river the river we lived on was salt water. So that's how he cleaned his motors, and that became our 
that became our basket. And we took that, we took that drum, we put it up against a, a wooden shed, and the shed was our backboard. Right. So that became our basketball set. And it was, it was the, the toy that lasted the longest that the most kids who came through that home played with. So that's kind of the story behind the basketball. And when I was putting this... Now, this isn't the actual basketball, right? I know it's going to be amazing. It, it, uh, that would be just <laughs> sick if it was. Uh, but, but no, it's, it, it, you know, unfortunately not. But, but it, it, they definitely make, um, there's others in the, in, in the can, but they definitely make, um, uh, they serve the purpose. Yeah. And when I was looking for, I was trying to gather content. I mean, I've been, I've been collecting content for 20 years, but when, when I was really pushing to meet the deadline, I was looking for other stuff that I just didn't have. So I went on Facebook and, and reached out to, to some friends asking for toys. And a friend of mine responded. He said, he said I, got a, I got a couple of toys and, and I've got these old balls. And, and he sent me a picture and it was just, it looked like a bunch of junk laying in his yard. And, and I said, well, the, the, the toys are, are interesting. Uh, so we set up a time to meet. And I was, it was right before I was going to meet him, and I thought, wait a minute, the basketballs, what am I thinking? And so I, I texted him before, I was trying to get him before he left his house because we live uh, an hour away from each other. Right, right, right. And I said, yeah, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, bring the basketballs. So I showed up to meet him, and he had a big, giant um, trash bag full of basketballs. And it was just, you know, things, artists love it when things happen organically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of that was so organic, and it was so fitting of the story. And, and the results, the photographing the, the basketballs was just fascinating to me because the shape, the texture, the way the light hit it, the, all those things just, it, it took it from being like a, dark sad story to being to being something visually just so interesting to me it was just fascinating and the whole process just wow it was it was it really turned out to be part of the turned out to be uh one of the coolest parts of the development of the show and the results too it was wow i mean yeah i wonder like going beyond just even how it looks it looks great but I mean, how did it make you feel? Because, like you said, you're kind of, like, pulled back to this memory, which, you know, you mentioned, like, there's a dark part of it, but also, like, the way you describe the story is, like, it, it's funny how kids are, though, like, because you don't know that you're, like, when you're a kid, you don't know you're poor. Yeah. Like, because I, I was poor when I was really young, and, like, I didn't know. We would have played with a half-inflated basketball and a a barrel and thought it was the greatest thing ever. You don't realize it, like, when you're a kid. So, like, I wonder how that played out in your, like, in your heart, like, in your, in your, in your soul, I guess you might say. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. You're right. Um, you know, kids are, are naive about a lot of things. And, and there, it, there was, looking back on it, there was sadness. But at the time, we were... We were just excited to have a toy we could play with. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about it, the fact that we had a 55-gallon drum and a, an old shed for a backboard, 
was actually unique. Mm. It, it wasn't. It wasn't so sad as it was unique. No one else had that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we had that because of the circumstances, uh, you know. But yeah, we didn't know that. And you know, while I was while I was producing, yeah, the the memory there there are some sad things about the memory. But while I was producing the the photographs of these balls, it was just it was actually so therapeutic, so um, uplifting because it 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 brought me it brought me joy. So the the source of the story ended up bringing me visually and as an artist a lot of joy to actually execute it. it it's such a dichotomy between where the story started and where it ended. It's such. It ended on such a positive note for me personally. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And you can really see like everything you just said in all of those basketballs too. Like there's so much. There's so much humanness in the basketballs. Right. You know, like, and there's so much resiliency here, and like I've just I've loved like, you know, if the ultimate the only thing that you did for this show was that it would ultimately speak to exactly what the root of why you began this series at all, you know, is that kind of triumph and overcoming, but being beat up. It's just, I don't know. And then there is, there is a, a great deal of, I mean, people are listening. They're not, they're not actually seen, but there's a, there's a great contrast between what's on that wall and what's on the other wall. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, it, it's it's completely different. Yes, yeah. very very different. Interesting. Now, Stephanie, we we've been talking here for a little while, so I kind of want to start bringing this interview here to a close. But I wanted to ask you, you know, how do you feel about this now that this is up here? This is kind of like you said, like 15 years in the making. Mm-hmm. Sure, you've set up stuff with your dad before, but this is big. I mean, yeah. this is like a whole. This is big. Yeah. So I wonder how you feel now that it's up. You've had the opening reception. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a chance to see the impact that it's had on your dad. I mean, I wonder how you feel about the show. I feel, point. yeah, I feel really good. It, like, you know, in the past 15 years, every attempt I've made to try and get you here, <laughs> it's like I was telling you in our first interview, like I've always rushed my timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Like I do things... And the universe is like, all right, you're not ready yet, but here you go, because you won't chill out. <laughs> like, and then, it, you know, it, something happens, and then a few years later, it happens again, and it's natural and right in its time. And that's what this feels like. It feels right in its time, and it feels exciting for me, because I want my dad to really lean into this practice. And, you know, it's very difficult as artists to submit to our purpose of being an artist, right? Like we, you know, that's very intimidating financially and otherwise. And um, I'm just hoping that this was a nice, you know, pillow for you to sleep on so that you can get some good rest and get to it. (laughs) I, I want to see him dive into this and see where it takes him you know i'd love for him to eventually get represented by galleries and right you know i i consider road three a footstone like i want people to show in this space and be discovered here and um you know just have a space to be um an artist and so i'm just looking forward to seeing where his career goes from here um i think his work is very important obviously so um 
Well, I second that, and I mean, I'm just, and I'm an outsider. You're, you're obviously a little biased, but I <laughs> yeah. am, I am, I think it's really great work, and it's a really great exhibition. Now, Childish Things, how, when does the, the show run through? Uh, through the first week of June. All right, so and if people want to kind of connect with you, Stephanie, in the gallery, what's the best way for people to do that? How can they find you, website, Instagram, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so my gallery is row3gallery.com, um, and then Instagram is ro3 underscore gallery. Uh, the best way to reach out to me is through email or Instagram direct message. Um, I am in a residency program right now, so my hours are very limited at the moment with the gallery. It's just Thursday through Saturday, um, and then by appointment. Right. So. Like right now, I'm here yeah. by appointment. So <laughs> really nice. And Rob, if people want to get to know more about you and your work, what's the best way for people to find you? Probably the best way is through Facebook. Just Rob Forbes on Facebook. It's it's we're some, not Facebook friends yet. I don't think so. We have to do that. It, yes. We we didn't. <laughs> um, I'm not on Facebook a ton, but I'll I'll, I'll do it. I do have a professional website, MovingCanvasMedia.com. Moving Canvas. Moving Canvas Media. Okay. Your your work your this kind of work isn't on there though. He does have an Instagram now, which is R Forbes underscore Art. And I am following that one, yeah. actually. So, uh, but <laughs> it's this is a great exhibition, Childish Things, and I appreciate both of you coming on Art on the Air today to talk all about it. It's yeah. been great. Thank you so uh, much. Thank oh you, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from three to four p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.